Welcome to the Supreme Court of Virginia podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ben Glass Law and Virginia Appellate Attorney Steve Emmert. Listening to oral arguments from the Supreme Court of Virginia is one of the best ways to stay abreast of both substantive and procedural law. And today's smart lawyers know that any case, even if it is outside their practice area, can offer a learning opportunity. So, listen, enjoy, subscribe, and leave us feedback. Thank you, Your Honor. Good morning, and may it please the court, Virginia Tyson for the Commonwealth. I would like to reserve three minutes, if possible. The defendant in this case, a convicted felon, possessed powerful firearms in a cabinet in his shed. He also possessed ammunition there as well. Some of that ammunition could not be used with the guns. The incompatible ammunition supported a separate conviction and sentence apart from the conviction for the firearm under Section 182-308.2. And this is true because the public was placed in a heightened danger on account of this incompatible uh, ammunition. This court ruled in Baker versus Commonwealth that the goal of the statute is to prevent heightened danger for each possession of a firearm, each danger that, uh, that firearm possession created. Likewise here, that 3030 ammunition created that separate danger. The Court of Appeals erred in ruling otherwise in this case of first impression, and we would urge the court to reverse that portion of the Court of Appeals ruling. The legislature has expanded through the years the items that felons may not possess uh, under this statute. Initially, and at the time that the Court of Appeals decided the AC case, uh, at that point, the statute only prevented the possession of a firearm. But then in 2003, the legislature added stun weapons. In 2004, the legislature added explosive materials. And finally, in 2009, the legislature added uh, a bar or a ban on possessing ammunition. Each one of these was added in the disjunctive as the list expanded. So it is enough to violate the statute to just possess a firearm or just possess ammunition, just possess a stun weapon or a pipe bomb. So in 2012, this court looked at this statute and was asked to rule on how many times one can possess a single firearm. And this court looked to the gravamen of the statute and, and noted and ruled that the purpose of this statute was to prevent each, each time the public would be in danger from possession of the firearm. And so in answering the question of how many possessions can you have with a single firearm, uh, this court said, oh, let's look at the gravamen of the offense. And in doing so, uh, noted this heightened danger. And, and that is the reason why the trial court in this case found that there could be a conviction for the possession of the firearm and a separate possession for the ammunition that did not fit any of those firearms. Counsel, uh, can I interrupt you with a question? Um, yes, sir. Under your understanding of AC and our, and our court precedents, what would happen if there are two weapons simultaneously possessed? One is a 22 short and the other is a, a ar-15 with a banana clip with a 20 mag 
how many convictions can the felon have if he has both those possessions simultaneously? As long as this court recognizes the precedent in AC, um, the felon is guilty of one offense. So um, the theory is, whatever, uh, with that assumption, of course, how is it more dangerous to have an AR-15 with a banana clip with a 30 mag on it, and then have, you know, a 22 long rifle piece of ammunition next to it? How is that more dangerous than having two firearms, fully Runner, loaded the, the, firearms? Sorry. No, go Runner, ahead. The, the reason that it is more dangerous is, again, because of the separate instances where um, the public is put in danger. Because all of the example that you gave, both of those firearms could potentially be used at one time. In one instance, the public is then in danger at, at one instance. Whereas when you've got ammunition uh, that does not, that is incompatible with the firearms, it necessarily will cause an additional and separate danger to the public. So while it, it appears anomalous initially, if you, in looking at it through the lens of this court's reasoning in Baker, it's not anomalous because it, it causes the public to be in danger on, on more than one instance. We know that that ammunition could not be used with the firearms with which it is possessed. And so that is why um, it, 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 is, uh, it is not, um, it's certainly not an absurd result uh, as this court has, has uh, defined that term. And it actually is in keeping with the reasoning that this court had in Baker. When looking so as, as long as I understand what you're saying, then just pragmatically speaking, assume for the sake of my question without conceding that, that the AC principle has uh, been there long enough not to be reconsidered. Just assume for the sake of argument. It's more dangerous for me to have a firearm and a piece of ammunition that I could later link up to another firearm than it would be for me to have two firearms. I could unload one clip, drop that firearm off and pick up the next firearm, unload that clip on somebody. That, How is that not more dangerous than having a firearm and some ammunition without a firearm immediately available to put it in? I just don't understand the logic. That's what I'm struggling with. I'm sorry. Yes, sir, Your Honor. And, and, I, and again, I, I, I have to have to rely very heavily on this court's um, decision in, in Baker to support my argument. And, and of course, Baker argued in his case, well, how am I going to know what duration is going to count as a single possession? And so obviously there are, are difficulties in, in teasing out or, or uh, nailing down precisely how many convictions are, are going to be possible in any given circumstance. But the reason that we rely so heavily on the Baker decision is because this court looked to how many times the public is in danger. And, and thus, you know, I come back and, and I probably am repeating myself, but to say that under your circumstance, the, the public is in danger, has the potential for danger on a, on a single time and a single instance. 
Whereas in our situation here, we have ammunition that necessarily will have to be used at another time and place. And thus the public is actually in danger in more instances in the situation that we have here than the one that you posited. And that is why uh, very narrowly, and, and the trial court here made its decision very narrowly on this basis, that because that ammunition could not be used at that time, but would necessarily be used at another time, that that is why the evidence supported both the conviction of the possession of the firearm and the position of the ammunition. Would you hire an appellate lawyer to handle your jury trial? Of course not. Trying cases requires a different focus, a different way of speaking, even a different way of thinking from handling appeals. So why would you ask a trial lawyer to handle your appeal? When it comes time to appear in an appellate court, trust a lawyer who specializes in appeals only. Steve Emmert limits his practice to appeals. Other lawyers consult him when they face tough problems in the appellate maze. Focus on what you do best. Call Steve Emmert at 757-965-5021 direct to find out how he can help you. Again, that's Steve Emmert at 757-965-5021. The uh, Court of Appeals, in its ruling, uh, in ruling against our argument focused on the the number of uh, possessions in fact rejected the argument that we made based on the potential uses of the um, the implements but I, I again go back to the rationale and the reasoning that this court had in Baker in looking looking to the potential danger of the uh, possession of the implements whether that whether that be as in Baker, a single firearm on a number of occasions, or in this case, a firearm and uh, ammunition that did not fit that firearm. And so the potential uses under this court's rationale in Baker is significant. And again, that is why the trial court ruled that the way it did. And uh, I agree, the General Assembly has not has not addressed this, this issue. Uh, this is, in fact, this case was pending on appeal when the 2020 regular session met. And really, because it is a case of first impression, the, the, the General Assembly, uh, granted the General Assembly hasn't, hasn't changed things since AC was decided or Baker, but they really haven't had an opportunity to acquiesce or reject uh, what happened in the Court of Appeals in this case because of the timing. And I would also uh, like to point out that although there are a number of federal cases that address how many convictions one may have for a number of firearms or firearms and ammunition. None of those cases address the scenario that we have here. None of those cases explicitly address where the ammunition must necessarily be used at another time uh, and, uh, than with the weapons. And in fact, most of the federal cases really are focusing in on uh, those persons who happen to qualify under a number of categories, like a, a drug user, a domestic violence, misdemeanor, a felon, what have you, for uh, possession. Um, there are some cases, the Dunford case, for example, in the Fourth Circuit that, that does address firearm and ammunition, but there, there is no discussion in these cases. These cases do not address 
where the ammunition may not be used with the firearms with which it is discovered. And uh, I disagree with my friend on the other side who said that that is just not significant or maybe no one made the, the argument about the type of ammunition that was involved. I think the important point is that this issue has not been addressed. And when the case law as it exists now, particularly with the reasoning that this court had in um, Baker and the, the gravamen of the offense, it's very significant that this ammunition, in fact, it's, it's determinative of, of the issue as far as the Commonwealth is concerned. Uh, the, the type of ammunition being incompatible is uh, the critical factor that caused this to be uh, two convictions rather than just the one. And um, I, I'm happy to answer other questions. Otherwise, I would uh, just reserve. I've got several minutes uh, to reserve um, in response to uh, my, my friend's argument. Three minutes and 48 seconds. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I am Ivan Farron, but may it please the court. I'm here for Mr. Groffel, the appellee in the case. And the facts here are simple, or at least the pertinent facts. And my colleague did a good job of summarizing them, so I won't bend to them um, unless there are questions. Um, we certainly end that the Court of Appeals properly decided that Mr. Groffel in these circumstances could not be convicted of both possession of a firearm as convicted felon and the other ammunition for the single act of possession. If he had possessed uh, those items or portions of those items or those items with other uh, banned items at a different time and place, then that would have been a second violation. And that is the reasoning in Baker. Um, Baker possessed the same gun, but three different times. And he was probably convicted of those three counts. Uh, in Baker, it's important to note that, and it's not a surprise, each of those incidents of possession was proven beyond a reasonable doubt, all three of them. I think what the Commonwealth here is asking is for you to convict Mr. Groffel of an additional felony, not because of what is something that he did or failed to do that was culpable in some way, but something that he might necessarily, or that they claim he would necessarily do in the future. Uh, or at a different time, I think, is, is their phrase, but that necessarily means in the future. Uh, and in fact, in its reply brief, the Commonwealth writes, quote, it is not speculative to conclude that Garofalo could only use the incompatible ammunition elsewhere. Thus, he would pose a danger to the public at a separate time. I would suggest and, and argue that that claim is, in fact, the embodiment of speculation. Uh, it is speculative to assume that Mr. Garofalo would use not that he could or might, but that he would use that other ammunition at a different time. It is, it's pure speculation. The Commonwealth, I think, is confusing the inquiry here into the gravamen of the statute with the prescription itself. The statute criminalizes possession. It does not criminalize speculative possession in the future. Uh, this logic leads down a number of rabbit holes, some of which I explored in my brief and I won't go into uh, more now, but there is one I would like to uh, put out there. And that is, what if the defendant has a 22 rifle and a matching box of ammunition and several of those rounds are missing? 
would that mean that he had necessarily used those missing matching rounds in the past? Should he have, therefore, a second conviction for having used them in the past? I mean, I think we would all agree that that, that obviously can't be the case. You, you, how would you draft the indictment? How would you prove the case just because there are a couple rounds missing? That, therefore, I mean, if I think it follows that the unmatching rounds in this case could not possibly constitute sufficient evidence to convict him of something that we know hasn't even happened because it's going to happen in the future, or at least it necessarily will, according to the Commonwealth's argument. The matching argument we contend just simply doesn't hold water. And the reality is that the gravamen of the offense and the legislature agrees is the possession of the dangerous items, whether one, whether a hundred, whether it's a stun gun and ammunition and guns. As you know, the legislature is presumed to be aware of the cases such as AC, which was uh, quite some time ago at this point. Um, even the circuit court cases that were cited in some of these briefs uh, that came out of Nick and Marshall. I would suggest also that it, it, it has had plenty of time to make changes, uh, at least in terms of AC, at least in terms of the other dangerous items that are prohibited. Uh, and uh, this statute I believe five out of the last six years, I believe every year, except for maybe 2018. And it has not clarified or changed the part of all that uh, we are addressing today, uh, at least not in, in a way that bolster the Commonwealth's argument. So I'm happy to answer any questions if there are any, but that is uh, all I have to say otherwise. Any, any questions from the panel? All right, you have 10 minutes and 20 seconds for rebuttal. Excuse me. You have three, min three minutes for rebuttal, Ms. Uh, Tyson. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. And, and may it please the court, I'm, I don't believe that I will use all of that, but just to respond briefly to some points um, made by opposing counsel. This is not speculative when viewed in light of the reasoning in, in Baker. Um, this is not to say that there would be convictions of use. Obviously, there would be sufficiency issues with, with whether these weapons were used. But the focus of the, the Baker analysis is to look at the potential danger to the community. And so that is, that is not speculative when we're looking at the potential risk, the potential for an enhanced risk to the community. And uh, so that is not a, it's but, not a speculation. Tyson, if we go that far, if we go that far with the Baker rationale, we will need to reverse AC. Because obviously it is far more dangerous for me to have two weapons where I can unload one clip on one group of people and then turn around a second later and unload the second clip on another group of people. So if your logic seems right about Baker, I, I don't know how we don't reverse AC. So you haven't gotten that far with your argument. I don't know if you want to or need to, but what am I missing about the logic? Wouldn't AC be wrong? if we just use the potential for harm analysis? Your Honor, the, those two cases have uh, survived and, and lived side by side up until this point. 
Um, I, I don't know that the reasoning of AC is, well, certainly this court is not bound by AC, and that the, the rationale that, that someone who has 100 guns is no more dangerous than someone who has one gun um, is, is something that um, should have continued, um, continued life. I think that the Commonwealth's well, then position I, if can... I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I don't want to forget this question. Um, is the Attorney General asking us to reconsider AC or to reject the logic or the holding of AC? Is that the position of the party? Because it's not been briefed if that is the position. It has not. It has not been briefed because our, our position is that we can uh, prevail in this case with the Baker, and I don't want to use the word gloss, but the, the Baker lens through which, I mean, let's look at AC through the Baker lens. Um, but when asked whether, whether the reasoning of, of AC is sound, uh, I'm not sure that it necessarily is. The, the parties did not, this party did not ask the court to reverse. We did not assign error to that. And uh, I simply note this court is not bound by AC uh, because that is a court of appeals opinion. And, uh, okay. and to, to follow up and respond, the um, legislature has not had an opportunity to deal with this issue, which is an issue of first impression when you have uh, ammunition that is not compatible with the, the firearms with which it is. Um, it, which is, with which it is stored. And um, with that, unless there are further questions from the court, the Commonwealth would ask this court to reverse this portion of the Court of Appeals opinion from the case below. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to the Supreme Court of Virginia podcast. My name is Ben Glass, and Steve Emmert and I provide these oral argument audios for free as a public service. If you're a fan of the podcast, I'd love to send you my book, Renegade Lawyer Marketing, absolutely free. Just visit www.benglassreferrals.com and I'll be glad to ship it to you. This book has helped thousands of lawyers across the country improve their lives and their practices. Again, that's benglassreferrals.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy these oral arguments from the Supreme Court of Virginia.